everyone. Welcome to another episode of Space Flicks. This is the podcast where we review a movie and decide if it's worth the cost of beaming out to a lonely astronaut in space. And today we are talking about The Tragedy of Macbeth, starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, uh, based on the famous play by William Shakespeare and Direct, written and directed, written for the screen, I should say, and directed by Joel Cohen for the first time ever that I'm aware of, or at least in decades. Yeah, it's working possible. Working solo without his brother. He might have, maybe he did a short film or something by himself. But yes, like this is the first solo feature film for Joel Cohen since a long time. In, in, the Great in ever, Cohen basically. Schism. There's clearly a rift between the brothers. There must be. Uh, yeah. Did you see the? There was a re, a parody review written by like air quotes Ethan Cohen oh, of no. the tragedy of Macbeth. <laughs> was it like this movie sucks or what? It was like it was like bio. This is by far the worst movie Joel Cohen has ever made. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, um, did did Ethan Cohen have anything to do with that, or was that just like a total like? Oh no, just a total writer. Up. Okay, yeah, just a parody. But at any rate, so yeah, so um, very interesting, you know, uh, development. I'm just to be clear. I think Joel Cohen has been credited as the sole director on some of the films they've done together, right? Yes, that's but, right. But in those cases, at least Ethan. At least they were always written by both, and most people. And you know, common wisdom is they also both directed. It's just that they happened to credit Joel. Yes, yes. This is like everybody knows that every other feature film that the Coen Brothers made, they are sort of co-directing, co-creators. Yeah, co-creator. This is the one where, like, well, and also that Ethan writes helps them write. Right. Isn't, it wasn't the convention they had for a while that it was like directed by Joel Cohen, produced by Ethan Cohen or something like that. Oh, I don't recall necessarily, uh, possibly, but that, that would be funny um, if like, that was like, Ethan's like, I get the best picture award. <laughs> you get the best director award. Right. But the brand, you know, if you think about it, like the brand is the Cohen brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's always right? from like, the Cohen brothers. It was you never, never like directed by Joel Cohen. But I mean, you also never say directed by Joel Cohen and Ethan Cohen. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You say directed by the Cohen brothers. Yep. Um, yep. Even though I'm sure the credits don't say that. It's just sort of like we all know that that's what it is. So that's why this film is sort of noteworthy. It's like the first in a long time. It's certainly the highest profile thing mm-hmm. that Joel Cohen has done, like strictly without Ethan, you know, since ever. Yeah, without any um, involvement at all, basically. Right, right. So, uh, so yeah, very, uh, very interesting development in the world of cinema. Um, why don't you kick us off, Adam? Do you got the synopsis in front of you? I do. Uh, for those who don't know what Macbeth is, uh, a Scottish lord becomes convinced by a trio of witches that he will become the next king of Scotland, and his ambitious wife supports him in his plans of seizing power. Well, you joke, but um, even though I, you know, s- studied Shakespeare in high school, same as many other people, I don't really remember any of the stories. I mean, I remember Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's be clear. Like, I, yeah, I, I also read the plays of Shakespeare in high school. I was an English major in mm-hmm. college. 
definitely like needed a primer on like who are the characters in Macbeth again? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It sort of came back to me. It all sort of was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember this story, right, as it was going. But before watching this film, I definitely couldn't have told you the story of of Macbeth. Even even the thing of the witch, like, I I, I couldn't have told you anything (laughs) about it. Right, Um, right. But then, yeah, but then watching it is like, oh, I read this when I was a teenager. You know, it sort of rings a bell. Um, So anyway, you know, with everything we said uh, about this being this play by Shakespeare that we had sort of, I guess, best case, some memories of, um, and this being Joel Cohen's first film in at least in many, many years without uh, collaborating with his brother Ethan, and from what else you'd seen, what were your expectations for this film to be honest i was expecting kind of a slog Mm. right interesting um i have to like turn on parts of my brain whenever i consume shakespeare (laughs) that like are are basically dormant the entire remainder of my life Mm. and so like i have to be i have to be thinking very actively about the language and like playing my brain is like translating it to like what is that mean Mm -hmm. to me Mm -hmm. right um and so and i'm not familiar enough with the plays that i'm like oh yes this is the scene where this thing happens i'm like i literally don't know what is happening in this scene unless i'm like paying hyper amounts of attention right so um so with that i was like i knew that that was sort of just going to be the price of admission was just like paying like deep attention to the language um and you know, and so in that regard, uh, it was this wasn't something that was like lighting my world on fire. As much as I love the Cohen brothers, and as much as I like really look forward to nearly everything they make, I was like, this is sort of like perfectly formulated to be a, a difficult watch mm. for me. Because part of the joy of a Cohen brothers movie typically is they write dialogue in mm-hmm. a way that is very specific and entertaining and like and for whatever reason I don't need to think particularly hard to understand it but I can like immediately enjoy it. Yeah. This is this removes one of the you know this removes that core element of Cohen Brothers movies and replaces it with Shakespeare text and so it's sort of like oh the thing that I sort of lean on in a Cohen Brothers movie I I'm not going to get this time around. Right. So um so I was expecting a little bit of a of a rougher journey just as far as like it's not going to be as you know effortlessly fun to me as a lot of the other Cone Brothers fare. You know, it's funny. Um I until the movie started, I was not it's not like I was expecting one thing or another, but I wasn't really um I wasn't sure if it was going to be Shakespearean dialogue or not um, oh, i think the only trailer i saw that i can recall didn't really have any dialogue in it or it might have had just like a one or two lines from one of the witches yeah i think it's like by the, the pricking of yeah, my by thumbs. the pricking of my thumb something wicked this way comes and yeah. you know that's a famous enough line and it's like it didn't it, it didn't it didn't seem obvious to me based on just that one line that the whole movie was going to be sort of verbatim, the text of Shakespeare. 
right? think I think I honestly not not that I thought too hard about it, but I think subconsciously I was sort of expecting like a Cohenized version of the story of Macbeth. Yeah. Um. So when they when you know when the dialogue in the movie started and it was all very much hundred percent Shakespeare, um, that was again not surprising to me but it was sort of like oh okay this is what this movie is <laughs> i wasn't sure what yeah. it was going to be this is what it's going to be um but maybe because i didn't really necessarily know that that's what it was going to be i was really looking forward to it i think i i think the trailer looked really cool to me like the imagery mm-hmm. was clearly very compelling and and artistic um so I had this feeling it was going to be like a kind of surreal, really um, visually fascinating movie. And uh, and I was looking forward to that. And I don't think, to be honest, when it comes to Shakespeare, um, you're just, you just, this is a theme with all of our conversations. You just like are better at watching movies. <laughs> it's more of a skill. You pay more attention. I think I'm less, I'm less stressed about Shakespearean dialogue, not because I understand it better, but because I'm just sort of like more okay with not totally following what they're saying all the time. Right. right. I just sort of let it wash over me and I can kind of like follow the plot basically. And sort of, if I get, if I totally understand some of the dialogue, sometimes it's like icing on the cake, you know, but I, I kind of accept that sometimes they're going to be saying stuff and I'm like, I'm not sure what he's saying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, my expectations were quite high. I think once it started, I, I, I sort of had to adjust them a little because it's like, oh, I'm not going to really be able to comprehend all the details of this movie, at least in terms of the dialogue. Um, but regardless, was still was still looking forward to it. And um, I think it grew on me. You know, I, I said my expectations were high, but um, it did take me a little while to feel like I kind of know what's happening, right? <laughs> Um, right. Even though I don't understand every word that's being uttered, I think, you know, maybe 25% of the way through the movie or so was when I sort of like had kind of like settled into, okay, I'm, 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 I'm enjoy, I'm consuming this movie in a way that is, is I'm finding to be enjoyable now. And for the rest, yeah. and for the rest of it, um, I enjoyed it. And I think the, the visuals in particular, which is what I was expecting to be kind of the, the strongest part, um, were were really really gripping for me um for for a lot of the movie so i really appreciate it it's definitely not you know it does not rank up there for me with some of the top coen brothers movies um and i i kind of hope i i've heard people say like oh i hope joel cohen just do does like all the shakespeare plays now like this and i'm like no please no <laughs> i want him to do other stuff um so yeah, I, I wouldn't love to see you know him follow this up with more Shakespeare, but for what it is, I, I really enjoyed it. How about you? What was your kind of takeaway after seeing it? Uh, I I feel like I am I'm glad this film exists, you know, mm-hmm. but it's not one that I intend to return to. More of an appreciate, there, not so much a, yeah. a love, yeah. No, I mean, I'm sure, you know, like with any Coen Brothers movie, I'm sure I'd, I'd watch it again. But like, um, it wasn't one of those movies where as I'm watching it, you know, some, some, I feel like I make this sort of comment sometimes uh, at various, about various moments in movies where I'm 
you know, my eyes are wide and my head is nodding and I'm like, yes, yes, mm-hmm. this is why we go to the movies, right, right? right? And I didn't have that sort of like elation that sometimes I experience when when you're cracking open a good movie. Um, no, that being, it has a lot uh, to admire about it. I thought, you know, as always, uh, Denzel is just a very compelling mm-hmm. watch. Um, as always. I like him. I like him a lot specifically as a, uh, and I feel like he does this uh, more than once in his career, like a person who is extremely um, like strong and smart, but like coming apart at the seams, mm-hmm. right? Um, I really enjoy those sorts of Denzel performances. I feel like he does that in movies like um, The Manchurian Candidate, and flight, for example, mm. um, there are like especially. I'm thinking about the Manchurian Candidate towards the end of that movie. He's like imploring, you know, that's a Jonathan Demi movie, and so there's a lot of shots of Denzel looking directly into the camera, like yeah, straight extreme on, extreme close-ups on his face. Yeah. yeah, and it's just he is such a good uh, act, a good performer in those moments that you just feel like the desperation sort of like just pouring off of him mm-hmm. in that. In those moments, and and this movie, I think, has some of that. Um, and giving him a role like Macbeth, which allows him to, you know, verbalize a lot of the stuff that he has to generally do as an actor with just sort of like body language and facial expression, and he gets to he gets to sort of speak to some of that internal anguish that he's feeling. I think is an is a fun treat. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't perform Shakespeare sort of th- in air quotes, like the way that I'm accustomed to. Right. Whatever that means. Right. But there's sort of like like it, there are certain actors in this film who I do think have a more traditional Shakespearean delivery, like Brendan Gleeson as Duncan, mm-hmm. for example, or um, or his or Her- Harry Melling as his son, Malcolm. Both of them have sort of a delivery that I tend to associate with sort of traditional Shakespearean delivery, um, which is a little, for me anyway, like inert, right? It's like sort of lacking a liveliness to it, but I don't feel that way about Denzel's performance. Yeah. I feel like it's a very alive performance. Both those actors you Um, named, are they both British? Uh, I I think isn't Brendan Gleeson Irish? Okay, I should um, say, but uh, they're from the UK. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Brendan Gleeson's Irish, and Harry Melling. I'd have to look up. Let's see. Um, but yes, they're both from that island. Uh, he, uh, Mer- Melling is from London. Um, and so um, yeah, they they very well may be more like traditionally trained, like. Shakespearean actors, right? Um, Denzel, I, I just sort of, uh, as an aside, you know, I was listening to an interview with Joel Cohen. You might have listened to the director's one cutting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I had, I was kind of shocked to learn that Denzel had like never seen a performance of Macbeth, right? <laughs> it was something like that. Oh, I like, missed that. He'd, o- he'd only ever read it hmm. and so he had no preconceived notion of like how do you play Macbeth hmm. which is like, great I just know how 
Yeah. Right. I that and it's like okay, great. That's that makes this much better because you're not doing it the way that maybe um, other films have done it or other stage performers have done it. Um, and so uh, that's the type of thing that I feel like this movie b- delivers that I really enjoyed. Um, it was yeah. Again, it's it's to my earlier point about what I was sort of expecting from the film. Um, it was lacking some of the some of that sort of Cohen uh, tone and language that I'm accustomed to, but some of the performances in here I thought were quite winning and quite good. Yeah, actually, I think the reason I, I said oh those two are British, I, I guess I was wrong. One of them is not British, but um, I was recalling that same interview, and I remember Joel Cohen talking about how there was a discussion or like a, a, some consideration given to, should we try to get these different actors to kind of all more sync up a little bit in terms of, you know, the accent and the delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and where he landed was like, he kind of liked having the diversity of approaches in the cast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which to me extends not just to, you know, of course, there's the accent, which is very surface level. But I think underneath the accent, there's sort of that approach, right? Of yeah, of of how the character is played. And I don't remember if it was in that interview or another something else I was listening to, but um, I think it was that interview because I think Guillermo del Toro br- brought up the the sort of American energy, you know, that Denzel right, Washington right. and Francis McDormand bring. And I think there's like a swagger to it, right? That Right. Um, I mean, Denzel Washington just kind of always has that, right? Um, or, or not? Uh, not always, actually. I guess Manchurian Candidate. I I wouldn't describe that performance as having a lot of swagger, but but he's very capable right. of it, and he's kind of known for yeah. it, right? And I think he brought that to this role, which you know, again, I think it's great that he he sounds like he wasn't really influenced by seeing other performances of Macbeth because I think it suits the character really well. Um, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I like the idea that kind of the way these different actors chose to, you know, deliver Shakespearean dialogue, even, even that kind of acting choice felt like, um, uh, like a part of the character for each character, mm-hmm. um, yeah. in an interesting way, which you don't normally, like normally this is the only movie, not like I've watched a lot of movies that are Shakespeare adaptations. In fact, you could probably count them on one hand, the ones I've seen. Right. But nonetheless, I think it's much more typical from what I've seen to try to get like standardized on an approach that the actors will take. Yeah. And then that's that becomes like a box they have to operate within. And it's like, right. do your best to embody the character while staying true to this approach. But I think in this film, it was more like the approach itself can differ based on the character. Right. 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 Uh, um, so, yeah, that was pretty cool. So, yeah, I guess we... Um, it sounds like we both sort of appreciated this film. Uh, uh, I don't know who liked it more. I, I certainly wouldn't say I loved it. Um, so we're probably pretty close together on that. Uh, let's talk about kind of like what this movie's about a little bit. The theme, I, I think this movie is, I, I like I was actually happy to be kind of reminded of what the story is for this movie because it feels like a concept and a premise that's, that's not not unique to this story any longer, but relearning sort of the, what the plot of this of this movie is. I'm like, oh, this actually feels very inventive to me. You know, like for for, mm. for its time, 
Um, I'm just curious though, like, I guess maybe I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. What, what would you say is, do you feel like this movie has a, or this story, I should say, has like a message or a, a theme it's trying to convey? Well, the fact that it's called the tragedy of Macbeth, the way it's tight, <laughs> like, yeah. which is not, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that's not the name of the play, right? The play is just Macbeth. I think you're right. Yeah. Right? Um, and so there's, so Cohen is emphasizing something a little bit here with the way he's titled it. And um, the something that really strikes me is like, I don't know if I am just at a different season in my life to notice these things in a different way. And that's probably like the way Shakespeare goes. Mm-hmm. But like, I remember as a kid, sort of the academic exercise with Macbeth was sort of like, what is his... What is his fatal flaw? What what is his fatal flaw, right? And, you know, in Hamlet, it's like like indecision, right? Mm -hmm. In Macbeth, it's it's, uh, ambition, right? right? And um, I don't think that resonated with me as much as a child. It just feels stupid, Mm -hmm. right? It it just feels, you know, when you're a kid, it's like, Okay, so he like w- wants too much, and then he dies mm-hmm. because he can't. He you know he bites off more than he yeah. Can. You too, can't get too big for your britches, right? Right. Um, but there's a moment, uh, and, and so like there's a moment in the um, in a tent near the beginning of the film after Macbeth has had success on the battlefield, and Duncan. Uh, praises him and then says, you know, Malcolm, you're going to be the the prince or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Macbeth immediately leaves the tent feeling real salty, right? That he's been sort of overlooked and that's sort of the beginning of the poisoning of his mind as far as like, I deserve more than what I'm getting <laughs> How do I, if I'm not going to be given it, how do I take it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And the sort of, like, the thing that really struck me is how kind and affectionate, like, Duncan is Mm. toward Macbeth Mm -hmm. and how, like, genuinely trusting and loving he is and how Macbeth, like, completely uh, just does not value that relationship at all to the Mm. degree that he ends up killing duncan right um and the the sort of elusive like the elusiveness of something beautiful and real that's like cast aside for ambition really does feel tragic to me in a way that like it didn't when i was a teenager reading this play Mm. right Because it's sort of like Duncan was a character that's just like gonna get killed, right? Like when you're a kid. And when I'm watching it in this film, Mm. it's like, oh, Duncan's like a man who doesn't deserve to die. Right. You know? Um, Who, and this is Macbeth not just killing another character in a play. This is Macbeth killing a man who would be his friend, Mm -hmm. right? And so, like, that sort of the tragedy of betrayal right of a friend was something that really stuck with me in a way that um it wasn't so much about like 
ambition as a fatal flaw. And it was more about, to me, like what makes it sad is the fa- is sort of the what has How what is lost. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's all very interesting. I have I have such a different take on it though. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, yeah. some of my take might be very misinformed because as we've already established, I didn't fully understand what they were saying all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but um but here's my my take is uh this this might feel like a stretch. But bear, but 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 stay with me here. I, f- I feel like yeah. it, it has a lot in common with uh, another Coen Brothers film, A Serious Man. Okay. And to me, so so I actually had a lot more sympathy for Macbeth than it sounds like you do. I, I thought from the performance, I thought I didn't actually feel that Macbeth was inherently like super driven by ambition. And that was like the whole arc of the film. If my 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 feeling was that there was so much, um, so much of the story was propelled by basically something completely random, which is these witches, you know, appear to him and mm-hmm. and give him a prophecy that he didn't ask for. And yeah. initially, once they give it to him, he's sort of like, "What is this?" Right? <laughs> right? He's yeah, talking yeah. to Banquo. He's like, do, do the, you know, do we listen to that? Like, do they know what they're talking about? Like, what do we make of this? And it's sort of like, well, they, they did seem kind of mystical, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And there's like, okay, but maybe it's nothing, right? And then, and then when it when it turns out, sure enough, he's he he is he is anointed or whatever, like Thane of something something. I don't I don't remember. He he's given a new yeah. title, right? Yeah. And I think even then his reaction is sort of like, huh, the thing those witches said happened, right? Yeah. And he's like, that's weird. What do I do with this? And then he he writes to his wife, right, Lady Macbeth, and tells her about Mm it. And then she is very much like, okay, this is your destiny now, right? And I feel like he's very much kind of it's it, it doesn't feel to me like self-driven. It feels more like he's sort of stumbling into this of like, is this my destiny? And I think mm-hmm. and it doesn't take away from the fact that, yeah, he makes a choice very much encouraged by his wife, like, you know, pressured, I would say, by his wife. But still, nonetheless, right. he's like responsible for what he does to Duncan. Um, But the commonality I see with a serious man is sort of like, what's actually going on here? Like, you know the mystery there's so much mystery around like Mm -hmm. why is this all happening and i think there's definitely like ambition plays a part but it doesn't seem to really be the root cause the root cause is more it it, it is more mystical like why did these witches appear and and i think what what seems so novel about it to me it has a lot of it has a lot of sort of shared dna with like time travel movies you know with like time paradoxes Mm -hmm. because it's basically the witches making the prediction that causes things to play out the way that they do, right? Right. Or, or at least yeah. that that was my take, you know? It, yeah. it doesn't feel to me that if he hadn't been visited by the witches, he would have taken the actions he took. But, but you know, they basically said, you're going to become king. That planted the idea. And then, and then him telling his wife that sort of further, that further kind of, um, you know, contributed to 
the the, the commitment to that idea mm-hmm. and then he fell, followed through with it and then it was also what they said about that you know Banquo is the one whose whose offspring will be kings mm-hmm. that yeah that then he gets so obsessed about right but if yeah. they hadn't told him any of those things i think he wouldn't have taken any of the actions he takes in the yeah. plot from that point on so so yet yeah, to me the tragedy is sort of like that this man has is completely um bewildered right like like he, how much is he even in control of his actions or of the trajectory of his life from that point on is very unclear mm-hmm. to me and to me this tragedy is sort of his loss of his loss of like agency in his own life and isn't like, and like, right. isn't it unfortunate all these things that happen? So to me, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not articulating it super well, but do you sort of, do you sort of follow me on the, on the feeling like there's some commonality with serious man here? Uh, well, yeah, definitely like the point you're making about, you know, Macbeth's life is like, uh, like a row of dominoes that have been stood up. Yeah. And like the witch just flicks the first one and then things just cascade from there. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, and it's sort of like, what, you know, what if that hadn't unfolded that way? This man is just sort of a passenger in his own life. Right. And is, I think the thing that a serious man does that feels different than this movie is um i f- i feel like uh the michael stuhlbarg character what's his name what's the character's name remind me you know no, i don't remember we'll look it up um is like a very self-aware observer of his life playing out right you know what i mean um larry, larry got yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we looked it up at the same um, time. Larry, we're gonna be fine. That's right. Uh, and I feel like Macbeth is probably, to your point, mm, like right, you know, be, being driven or being sort of motivated by forces that he doesn't understand. But I also think he doesn't quite perceive them either. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I feel it, it's very, it's much more, um, I think in a serious man, like Larry is very explicitly like in the text kind of confused and searching for an explanation for, for what's mm-hmm. happening to him. For me, I think in this movie, it's not in the text, but for me, it was very much in Denzel Washington's performance. I, I mm-hmm. thought there were like his, his, just his reactions to things to me felt felt like even though he's not he's not like looking to the heavens and saying why it mm-hmm. felt like he was puzzled for for, yeah. for much of yeah. the film of like why is this happening is this real right right um so to, to me i guess that's the common thread for both movies is like it for me again for me and and i could totally see how someone else would not interpret his performance the same way i did but the way i interpret it is like he, like Larry, is sort of seeking an answer or or is confused 
about like, why mm-hmm. is this happening? Like in his case, it's more like, why did the witches tell me that? And why are all these things happening now? Right. And in Larry's case, mm-hmm. it's like, why is my life falling apart? <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and, and, and in both cases, it's like, there is no, no one's going to answer you. Right. You're right. never going to get that answer you're looking for. Some, yeah, just to sort of like draw a very fine point. I think your point is, is, is right on. And just to draw a very fine distinction, I feel like, um, Larry is like in this very, um, circular pattern of perceiving like his life falling apart around him and very sort of self in a very self-aware way uh questioning like why is this happening to me Mm -hmm. and why and he's very aware of what is happening and is very aware of like why he feels the emotions that he feels and that's and it's a sort of um deep you know profound confusion Mm -hmm. right Macbeth almost has a quality of like um like a hungry child or something who is angry but is like not good about um uh identifying the source of their anger Mm -hmm. you know yeah it's sort of like i'm really mad and like a parent who's outside of that child would be like you just need a snack right right but like the child's like no i'm really mad about this thing that i'm mad about and it like takes an outside observer to like so like why are you doing the things that you're doing and why do you feel the way that you feel and i because i i totally agree i he has like this sense of confusion and bewilderment throughout the film frequently but i don't know that he has put his finger right, on right. like it's much more vague why he feels that yeah way. no i think right. you're right i think you're right i i, I would love <laughs> i wish like you know we could get validation from denzel himself that's like that is what i was going for right it's like i yeah, don't know that's just yeah. it sounds like but it sounds like what you and i picked up is very very similar like everything you're saying sounds right to me it's it's unlike larry who's asking a well-formed question right right it's like denzel more has this like unease like something's not quite right but but i mm-hmm. i don't know that he even knows that he wants to know mm-hmm. why he just can tell that something is not right Oh, I think the text, I think like the experience supports our reading, right? At least to a degree. For example, you know, um, the sequence, like, is that a dagger? Is this a dagger mm-hmm. I see mm-hmm. before yeah, me? Yeah, it's a great example. Right? Like, is this a sign of something I'm supposed to do, like that I'm meant to do? Or is this like, you know, a, an illusion, a trick of some kind? And the film presents it really brilliantly because it's, yeah played as like a sliver of light coming out from behind a door basically it's it's very impressive that they were able to do just visually like for the audience helping the audience to like fully understand Macbeth's experience right because they're showing you something like is that a dagger because it's um because like when you when you see sort of a, a high school stage version of Macbeth in or like in your theater class when you're a kid, right? Like how do people play that, right? They play it like it is an imaginary dagger mm-hmm. hovering in the air mm-hmm. directly in front of them, yep. right? Which is like as an audience member, you're like, no, 
it's not mm-hmm. right like you are imagining that mm-hmm. like crazy macbeth right but in this movie it's like it does kind of like <laughs> it does kind of look looks like, like that, a dagger right? floating in the air that's kind of beckoning right <laughs> right um same thing with like there's a sequence um right after uh like a number of folks are in his banquet hall and he sees uh like the the raven Mm -hmm. you know like fly past and he like chases it down the hallway right and he's the only one who can see it right Mm -hmm. and is the only one who experienced it and then he see and then he um you know has sort of a, a hallucinatory experience where he imagines like that the the bird is a person and that person's attacking him and and it's like no one else can even like see the world the way he's experiencing it let alone sort of like empathize and understand why he feels the way that he feels yeah and he and so he doesn't really have like a good sounding board or like set of confidants that he can work with aside from lady Macbeth, Mm -hmm. and she's not exactly like the listening type you know um nor is she the most stable uh source of you know calm in this story it right. turns out so i just yeah i so i like the I, I yeah so this just sort of dovetails with my original point about you know denzel being really excellent at playing a dude falling apart as always yeah 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 good old denzel um mm-hmm. all reliable so i think you know per usual for me at least we sort of circled around something that i think is approaching what this movie's about I think we did an okay job with that. Well, um, yeah, it's like, I mean, yeah, I talked about the the tragedy of like uh, betrayal and you talked about the tragedy of being sort of a pawn in yeah, your own life. Yeah. A, a cog right? in a machine you don't and I think both. Yeah. I think both of those things can be true. Yeah, yeah right? agreed, agreed. Yeah. Um, so let's get to highlights. Um, you, you already named one of them for me. I thought that scene with the dagger, you know, photographic mm-hmm. effect of is it a dagger what is that um was mm-hmm. was great i mean i already mentioned that visually i think this movie has at least half a dozen probably more just really really kind of interesting visuals that it presents mm-hmm. you with um yeah for the most part you know with with few exceptions i think i don't actually know this i just sort of assume <laughs> it seemed like a lot of them were done without any sort of, you know, digital effects. It was all like photographic, um, like lighting and shadows and stuff. Um, So I loved, I loved all that. I thought, I thought all the interior like sets were quite, I don't know, visually fascinating, like so, so sparse, right? Um, Yeah. I think, you know, I guess maybe it was back to that interview that we've referenced a couple of times that they maybe talked about sort of how it it sort of it sort of straddles the line between like stage play and cinema, right? It's like mm-hmm. it's like a cinematic. It's very much cinematic in the sense like the 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 dagger, you know, scene mm-hmm. we we discussed is like something that you really can't even do on on stage, right? I mean, maybe yeah. you could figure out a way to do it, but it, it felt very, very much a film uh, scene. 
but then just that, but that's on top of this kind of foundation of like everything in the movie feels like it's like a stage set, but just like an incredible yeah. one though. Right. Right. Whether it's the yep. castle or the forests or like the little, the, the fork in the road with the little, you know, the little bill, like mm-hmm. little rubble sort of house. Like bombed yeah, out building. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All of them were, were so great. But anyway, so I loved the visuals and I thought the dagger scene in particular um, stood out. How about you? What, what, what other high? And we've also mentioned Denzel's performance, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Other highlights you want to bring up? There's a couple of performances that I thought were really um, compelling, uh, and there were char- like they were characters that, frankly, I mean, I didn't even really remember from you know years ago having read the play. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really thought Alex Hassel as Ross, the Ross character, was really great. I I I could not have told you. I mean, I'm sure you know real Shakespeare heads are shaking their heads, but. Um, I loved the Ross character as somebody who is sort of playing all sides all the mm-hmm. time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it being sort of unclear, like, do you, are you on Team Macbeth right. or a different team or yeah, I, your own I, I heard, team? I wonder if you would agree with this. I heard him compared to Varys from Game of Thrones, which, sure. felt, which yeah. felt pretty accurate to me. Yeah, or Littlefinger, right? Sort of same t- type of thing, right? Yeah, although, although Varys, I think, ultimate in Game of Thrones, not to spoil Game of Thrones, but Littlefinger turns out to be pretty self-serving in the end, right? Where, whereas sure. Varys was yeah, so, yeah, always yeah. like, I serve the the, the realm. realm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And, and I think that was that really was sort of his, it's sort of like he will, he will sort of form temporary allegiances and stuff, but his his ultimate goal is always sort of like, it's 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 kind of noble, right? In the end, and right, unless right. I misunderstood Ross, I might have missed something with Ross. But it seemed like for the most part, he was kind of trying to do more, the quote unquote right thing, right? I think I think that's I think that's like, right. For example, um, for example, I guess the main thing that stands out for me is um, him him sort of protecting Banquo's child, right? Fleance, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, I, I, what I liked about the way he played that particular scene. So in that scene, what happens is a couple of murderers, uh, you know, shank, uh, Macbeth's friend Banquo and they fail to kill Fleance, which they were expressly instructed to Mm do. Um, and Ross finds Fleance in the field. And when he does the camera, shows his face and he has like a little coy smile Mm -hmm. that he does if i if i'm remembering correctly and i really liked it because it sort of like clouds your understanding of his motivations right you you think maybe he's well at least i i thought in the moment that maybe he was gonna kill the kid right but it's like i think at the end of the day fleance is just a poker chip Mm -hmm. right it's just an advantage to have in your back pocket and you don't know how you're going to use it exactly, but he's no use to you dead and he is useful to you alive. Right. Um, so I really thought that Alex Hassel's like delivery as Ross, it just sort of, um, it's, it's a very ineffable thing, but he had a way of speaking and delivering the text that made me, uh, feel like the language was sort of, 
coming alive and like i would i feel like i was being communicated to as opposed to just seeing someone recite shakespeare and i felt similarly about um good old standby uh steven root's uh performance as as the porter mm. um I just like there's some like those were when those guys were on the screen at those respective times, like my ears perked up a little bit because I was like something about the way the language is like they seem to really mean Mm. it. Right. They seem like the same way that, um, you know, when I was younger, I used to believe that stand up comedians were like coming up with their act right then and there (laughs) in the moment. And it was like that was sort of the magic of it. And when I learned like, oh, wait, they. They wrote. They go this, on stage and say and like almost the, the exact same thing, <laughs> like every night, right? Like oh, yeah. every night, right? That was sort of like a revelation to me that they could make it sound like they were just like thinking of it right then mm-hmm. and there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of how I felt with, for example, Stephen Root's performance, right? I was just sort of like, oh, it really feels like this is a character who's like thinking and like saying the words because he's thinking mm-hmm. them, as opposed to reciting them because they're Shakespeare, right? You know. Um, which is what it would sound like if I did it, right? Like if I was, it would just sound like somebody reciting it because it's Shakespeare, because that's exactly what's happening, right? Yes. Um, if I did it, it would so, sound like someone struggling to remember words that they spent a long time trying to memorize. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. So um, so those are a couple of performances that really stood out to me as um, being really great, which is um, funny. I know I'm sort of circumventing probably the the most obvious candidates for for great performances. We've already talked about Denzel, but I feel like the folks who are going to get the most discussion are going to be Francis McDormand and uh, as Lady Macbeth and Catherine Hunter as the witches. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think in particular Catherine Hunter, and not because not because Francis McDormand didn't do an excellent job. Of course she did, but everybody knows Francis McDormand, right? Everybody knows she's a great mm-hmm. actor. Um, Catherine Hunter, right. I hadn't heard of before. Um, I'm sure a lot of people seeing this movie wouldn't have heard of her, but she's it's pretty unforgettable performance. Her as the her as the sort of witch crow witches. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh starting starting with perhaps one of the most memorable you know scenes in the whole film of just her yeah. doing this interesting kind of contortionist sort of bodily movements while while delivering these lines in a very, uh, you know, sort of enigmatic way. And then, and then just purely with, you know, with her body really, and, 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 you know, like a kind of a, a cape, this robe, a sort of garment, Mm -hmm. um, really sort of turning into a bird, (laughs) right. In front of your eyes. Um, that, that was pretty amazing. I gotta say, I, I don't know how Joel Cohen found her, but um, but she was she was definitely a, a great a great uh, casting for this part. Yeah, just a totally distinct, bizarre, you know, performance, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah, yeah, an, um, an element of 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 the bizarre for sure. Like yeah. like if you took her out, if you if you replaced her performance with you know, someone who was just playing sort of like an old lady saying lines in kind of an ominous way. I think it would, it would remove a huge element of, of, 
what makes this film very special. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, some of these performances, you know, we, we've, I think I've called out the ones that are meaningful to me. Um, and I agree with you on the, just the look of the film. I mean, it's not an accident when, you know, a filmmaker chooses to make a black and white movie. Right. Right. These days, that's a very conscious choice. Um, this film was done in sort of a, the old like TV ratio, if I recall. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so obviously like the, the, just the look of the film. Um, yeah. 137 to one ratio. That's yeah. That's old like square TV kind of look, um, you know, is a very considered deliberate look. And I felt like, um, it really made the sets, which were really, almost sort of like abstract representations of, you know, real yeah. things, but you would never believe that they were re these real things. Right. right? Um, this is a set of a country road. This isn't actually a country mm -hmm. road. This is a set of a forest, not actually a forest. Um, I feel like the black and white really helped to like allow you to suspend your disbelief in a useful mm -hmm. way. Because otherwise you would say like, oh, this feels fake if it was like in full color. But instead you're like, this feels heightened. Yeah, it feels right? more like composed, this feels... like a like right. a, a drawing, right. right? Right. Yeah, yeah. The visuals were great. I, I think there uh, there's another um, uh, shot in particular I remember Joel Cohen talking about, which... Um, had had like three very distinct shadows of of I think it was arches maybe but he talked about like how mm -hmm. from the just to get the visual they wanted it to be like really clean lines and so they had to kind of like mm -hmm. do it separate lighting for each for lighting each it one over and over so that yeah, the yeah, shadows yeah. wouldn't sort of like fade right um right and and it's funny because when he brought that up, I knew exactly what he was talking about because I remember that shot being like, that looks somehow like not real, you know? It looks it looks mm -hmm. like a painting or something, right? Right. Um, because it's yeah, it's lit and totally artificial. In a, yeah, in a way that you would you wouldn't see something lit that way in the real world because right there would just be a normal light source and you would see shadows fading. Um. Yeah. So, okay. Visuals overall. I think that's to me, that's like probably the biggest highlight of the movie. Um, I don't really have anything else. Any other things you wanted to touch on or should we try to figure out a way to fix the movie somehow? <laughs> um, yeah, we can, we, we can try to fix the movie. Rewriting Shakespeare is a tricky proposition. Yeah. Um, I, w I do have a question. Do you know, I, I don't, um, my understanding is typically Macbeth is like two and a half hours long as a play. Mm -hmm. And that this movie is a buck 45. So did, did they so, shorten it? Is that the question? Yeah. Do you happen to know like what was removed from the play? No, I don't. I don't know what was removed. I, I, I am pretty confident that they did remove some things though. So, um, like it, it is edited down 
I'm, I'm yeah. pretty confident of. But uh, no, I don't know. So why. Joel Cullen improved on Shakespeare is what we're saying. <laughs> he only <laughs> removed stuff, right? He didn't. He already fixed the movie by removing unnecessary fluff. I mean, yeah, I will. I wouldn't be so audacious as to say that that he should have, you know, deviated from Shakespeare. I would have been interested to see that, though. I mean, that's definitely been done, right? Norm, I guess normally what you see is either a direct adaptation of Shakespeare or a story that's like based on one of Shakespeare's stories, but it doesn't doesn't like share a title with it, right? Like it, it, it wouldn't right. be at all uncommon to see a film based on Macbeth that's just like the characters' right. cha- names are changed and stuff, but it's basically the same story. I, I right. would have been very interested to see this like in between thing that is like, no, it's still Macbeth and it's still the characters of Macbeth, but it's told the Joel Cohen way and, and the dialogue mm-hmm. is different. I, I, you know, I'm not going to say claim that would have been a better movie. It probably would have been a movie I would have liked more. <laughs> um, right. Right. So, so I would have liked to see that, but you know, it's funny you talking about how typically with the Coens, you get this really, really good, you know, well-crafted dialogue and, um, with like unique voices and really memorable characters and stuff. And since they were, since this is just Shakespeare, you don't quite get that. I, I agree with you, but I also think, you know, the fact that that's what you typically get with a Coen Brothers movie just speaks to their sort of respect for and love of language. And so at the, yeah. at, when you think of it that way, it makes perfect sense that like there would be a reverence for Shakespeare, right? In which case right. you're not going to try to rewrite Shakespeare. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm sure to Joel right. Cohen, like the words of Macbeth are amazing, right? And and I'm mm-hmm. sure they are. It's just that you and I, well, you you had to struggle to to follow, and I just sort of didn't follow <laughs> <laughs> much of it, much of it. Yeah, just a couple of Shakespeare philistines over so. here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that so that wouldn't have fixed the movie so much as made it a little bit more, you know, my speed. Right. I I recognize that the move that I'm making right now is like uh, a band puts out a new album and I'm the guy who's like, I like their old stuff. You know what I mean? Because that's sort of like I recognize that's what I'm doing. It's like, oh, just give me that old like, uh, you know, give me that old Coen Brothers stuff, you know, wrestling picture. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I feel like that's what I'm doing. You know, this this segment Um, when we do this fix the movie, it's always... It, it really depends on the filmmaker. Like the last the last episode we did Wes Anderson, right? If it's Wes mm, Anderson yeah. or it's the Coens or it's David Fincher or like there, there are these directors who it's like they didn't make any mistakes, right? <laughs> like right, they did. Right. The, the only way we could propose quote unquote fixing the movie is just like make it more to our tastes, right? Right. Compared right. to that yes. versus like gunpowder milkshake or some movie where it's just like, look, there's tons of mistakes in here. <laughs> there's there's right. just like the overall approach here was wrong. And here's how you could fix these like poor these these errors in judgment. So I right. think I think that's more when like it's a less confident hand, at, you know, at the helm of the movie. I think for for Joel yeah. Cohen or a Joel and Ethan Cohen movie. We're never going to have like 
an idea that just fixes one of their errors in judgment. It's always going to be more like, how do you make this more right. like a, a an Adam movie or a Dan movie? Right, right. I would be curious to see to have that same type of conversation about a movie like The Lady Killers to see if we actually could. That that's one. That's maybe, the only one maybe. like in their entire catalog that I might think is a contender for fix the yeah. movie. But otherwise, I completely agree with you. It's like there's nothing. The the we talked about this last time. Like typically, fix the movie is really sort of code for you didn't think about this part mm-hmm. hard enough. And you know, we think with just a little more thought, you could have made this a much more satisfying viewing experience, right? right? And it's like, I in no way feel like Joel Cohen and his team didn't put tremendous thought into this movie. And it's not, and it's exactly what they wanted yeah, yeah. it to be. Or or if he didn't, so. it's just because he's a genius and like he doesn't even have to think about right. things enough to do a better job than I sure. would do. Right? Um, sure, 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 sure. So, so yeah. Uh, yeah. Lady Killers, that's an interesting one. They, they, uh, it's been so long. I know you've said before that you think that's basically a bad movie. I just have mm-hmm. a, I think it was so long ago. I just have a hard time accepting that the Coens would have made a bad movie. I'm like, I don't think it was bad. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one of the, it's one of those things where I bet you, you know, I wonder if I watched it now, I'd be like, Oh, I get what they're, tr- what they're doing yeah. with this. You know what I mean? And I wonder if I just wasn't like tuned in to the right way. I mean, if I recall, it, it was one of their, it it could possibly be the movie that they tried to make like the most pure comedy of of any. It's it's definitely up there in terms of their. It's very yeah, silly. Yeah, it seems yes. like they were going just for funny. Um. So right. so maybe that maybe that was the misstep with that one is they went to one dimensional, just like funny only. But right. we're talking right. what twenty. Five years. I mean, how long did that movie come out? Long time ago. Yeah. Plus, it's Tom Hanks. It was a good. It was. It was a pretty good Tom Hanks character. It was a good. It was a good Tom Hanks performance. Yeah, you're right. Um. Okay. Well, we don't. Sounds like we don't have much else to say as far as fix the movie. Um. Well, I mean, do you want to talk about taste? Because I like, even though we know that this isn't fixing it, it's more just like make like if if the movie could pander to me more. What would it do? Well, I, that, I already right? gave mine. It, it would just not have Shakespearean dialogue. But otherwise, I liked pretty much every aspect of this movie. Otherwise, something that um, did did the Lady Macbeth character? I mean, this sounds like totally insane. I know, but like, did the Lady Macbeth character uh, like completely work for you? I think so, but but Were convince you, me that okay. she shouldn't have. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't put it this way. Like, she's such a powerful force in Macbeth's life. She's sort of like, you know, if the witches are the are the thing that make the movie go in the first place. Like, I feel like Lady Macbeth is like this sort of bit of rocket yeah. fuel a third of the way through. That sort of like he has to recommit mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. you know his path right and she's sort of like the fuel that gets him going in that direction um and then you know the the way the the text works is she seems to be besieged by guilt and you know sort of unravels as a result of that right Mm -hmm. 
And that has never been like a very persuasive arc for from where I sit. Mm. Where it's like, okay, so she's like ruthless mm. at one point, and then like shortly thereafter, sort of off screen, decide like has a realization that murder is bad. And then is like, oh no, now I I, you know, am suffering from severe, you know, like mental anguish as a result of that. And it's just sort of like if that is what the if that's the, if that's the arc of the character, I think Francis McDormand does does those things fine, right? But it's sort of like I would have if we're gonna deviate from Shakespeare as an <laughs> example, if we're gonna take your suggestion, which I like, right? And just sort of make it like heavily based on Macbeth, right? Then it's like I would love to understand. I would love to see a approach where Lady Macbeth actually um, is motivated to change in mm-hmm. some way, as a like where something happens, as opposed to just like we we come back to Lady Macbeth and she is feeling yeah. bad, right? Um, that's like a that's a you know if we're being extremely dumb which i'm perfectly comfortable being because that's what i am uh if we're if we're fixing this movie if we're fixing shakespeare that's that's something that i never that didn't quite work for me in in this film and and in the story generally yeah I, i can definitely see what you're saying um you know, I think so. You, your your uh, point about sort of, sort of how like off screen she just has this change of heart and it's kind of convenient. You know, it reminds me of what a dumb movie to compare this to, but um, the third Hobbit movie. I forget even what that, that the Battle of the Seven Armies. I guess. Oh. Um, yeah, I didn't see it. Okay. Well, I can describe to you what I found stupid. The the main like. The leader of the dwarves, he, he, you know, you might recall mm-hmm. from The Hobbit that, like, you know, he's obsessed with gold and they just want to, like, reclaim their mines and have all this gold. He sort of, he sort of loses yeah. his way, you know, the same way that um, Frodo does in the original trilogy where he sort of becomes enamored yeah. with the ring, right? So the dwarf leader right. becomes, like, fascinated with gold. And then there's this scene, and it's like all the other dwarves are like, oh, no, we're losing him. You know, he's becoming obsessed with just mm-hmm. the gold. He's forgotten what we're trying to do here. Mm-hmm. And then there's this scene where he just sort of, like, stumbles into the cave and has this, like, vision mm-hmm. of drowning in gold. And then he goes back to them, mm-hmm. and he's like, I've changed my ways. <laughs> he's just like, he's just like, <laughs> he's like wow, okay, well, I'm, gra- I'm glad he had that vision and that completely fixed everything, right? Um, but I think that in that film, I really, I remember being very frustrated by that scene because it just felt like very sloppy writing and kind of lack of proper character development. But he was more of a, he was like the main character. I mean, I guess that's not true because I suppose Bilbo's the main character, but for that segment of the movie, he kind of is like the main character. I think I'm a little more forgiving of the lady Macbeth off screen thing because she just doesn't feel like a main character to me maybe that's ridiculous she's probably like the second or third biggest character but to me it's just like Macbeth is the character you know and the fact that his his wife is sort of I I think her motivations are to be fair like to, to to agree with you her motivations are never 
super well defined. It's like in the beginning, you're just like, oh, this is one of those wives who's just always pushing her husband for like more like you should you should be king why aren't you king right um so you're sort of like i guess that's what she is and then for her to later be haunted you're like oh why is she haunted now right um right but i i guess you know she's a little bit more i guess i'm just i was just okay with her being a little bit more like of a of a character who impacts the plot in a certain way and not as not as like fully formed a character as Macbeth is, but you're, you're not wrong. I guess all I'm, yeah. all I'm saying is why it didn't bother me quite as much. Right. right. Um, yeah. Yeah. If she was, I mean, this sounds crazy, but it's sort of like, uh, I could see a world where you'd make her like the shark and jaws, you know, <laughs> or you make her like Ned Beatty mm-hmm. and network. Right, and he cut, and she just comes in and like throws 110 miles per hour for eight minutes, right? And then it's like, all right, that's it. I've changed the course of Macbeth's mm-hmm. life, and now you will not see me again, right? Because that's that's what I'm here to do. I'm an I'm sort of this agent of change, and that's it. And I don't have like deep thoughts myself, you know. Um, well, that would be very fascinating. Yeah, but okay, but backing up a little. Um, I guess you asked me if overall she worked for me and I, I think, she, I think I'm, I think I'm underselling it by saying, oh, I'm okay with it. Not really making sense. I mean, in the same way that it seems like you and I both picked up some of these unspoken things from Denzel Washington's performance. I, uh, yeah. if I think back to one of the first scenes where we see Lady Macbeth, I feel like she's she's got something going on from the beginning. You know, she sort of like lies down in bed and she's she's like talking to like the forces of darkness or something. She's like, I think she's like inviting, yeah. she, she, she has a sense, I think even from the beginning that there's this, it's like to borrow from what is it loki like terrible purpose right (laughs) like this sense of like there's this thing that i feel like we have to do but i already know that there's some darkness to it and i to me that that even that beginning scene hinted at a certain degree of madness in her personality that that to me where her character goes i guess i didn't interpret it so much as just like a hundred percent about being racked with guilt. To me, it was just sort of like mm-hmm. a continuation of the character. When we first meet her is already a little bit, you know, off and, and it just, yeah. it just, you know, it, ex- it accelerates perhaps somewhere in the middle, a little bit off screen. Like we don't see like this very gradual, you know, shift, but it's like the seed is planted in the beginning. And then for her to be falling apart by the end and kind of losing touch with reality for me was like, yeah, that's where that character was going to go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Based on the beginning. I think, I think you're right that McDormand plays even sort of like the opening scenes where Lady Macbeth is involved as a woman who is, you know, tenuously 
holding on right yeah and you know like her little pep talk where she's like screw your courage to the sticking place right you know where she's trying to basically give a pep talk to Macbeth and herself about like now's not the time to to back down like she's already sort of before the deed's even done she's like racked she's like thinking about how this is like a she's feeling guilty right about it in the first place so i think you're right um and this might be uh just a symptom of being a dude who has to pay really close attention to understand shakespeare Mm -hmm. you know um and if like i was more fluent with it i'd be like oh no it's all up in the text like there's all sorts of stuff that like lays the groundwork like there's so much there's so much detail that i'm sure i've missed because it's like every line of Shakespeare has a little something in it, right? I still remember being a student and your English teacher being like, this line, you know, what is really meant by these words? And it's like you can dissect it at that level of every single line giving you a little nugget of new information. Um, Right. And I was definitely not, you know, taking in this movie in that way. It was more scene to scene or sometimes even entire scenes I didn't quite get. And I was just like, I'll figure out what happened there (laughs) by putting the pieces together later, you know? Yeah. Yeah. um, Okay. So it sounds like we, you know, we, I I sort of got you a little bit more on board with the movie there. Are, Are there any other fix the movies for you? No, no, I think that was that's probably the big one and the main one. Um, my understand, you know, this is a very sparse film, and my I know that there are other versions of Macbeth that have like a big action component mm-hmm. to them, mm-hmm. right? Where there's like some major battle scenes uh, and and stuff like that. I felt like this movie was appropriately reserved in that regard and i felt like the sword fight at the end um you know i think the focus was the in the right place which was ultimately the moment where Macbeth loses Mm -hmm. the crown and basically loses this sword fight because he can't let he can't he needs to put it back on his head right yeah um and so I think, um, yeah, so I think ultimately, like, this movie does exactly what it intends to do. It's all a matter of taste, to your point. There might be some little taste things that I might have preferred differently. We've talked about some of them already, but at the end of the day, I don't think there's much here that you could, in good conscience, like, change. Yeah, I think Joel Cohen made the movie he wanted to make. Right. Um, all right. Are we going to beam it up, Adam? Nah. No. Nah. It's it's funny. Cohen Cohen brother movies, I feel like are so often right on that right on that edge of It feels like they should often get beamed up, but maybe they don't quite hit that right. mark for us. Or maybe just recently. I definitely would have beamed up Serious Man. Yeah. That's for sure. I think I think didn't I beam up Scruggs? Yeah, I think we both did actually. I think. Yeah. I kind of forget about that one. I know it's a movie, but 
but it doesn't feel like a movie. <laughs> feels it's like a easy. Yeah, it's easy to overlook for sure. I mean, I, I just think, you know, just going through their their filmography, it's like there's so many that I don't know if at the time you would have beamed them up necessarily, mm-hmm. but I know for sure they are, you know, pound for pound, one of the best filmmaking right, teams totally. like in history. Um, and, you know, as when you look at their filmography, their hit rate of films that I would beam up now, right, uh, is quite high. Yep. Yeah, quite, for sure. quite high. All right. Just not this one. But uh, look Just forward. I mean, I definitely look forward to seeing whatever Joel Cohen does next. I would love for him to join forces with Ethan once again. But if he doesn't, I'll still be curious to see what comes next. Yep. But I do yep. hope it's not Shakespeare again. Just selfishly. Yeah. Yeah. Something else. Please. All right. Well, that'll that'll do it. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. I'm Dan. I'm Adam. Bye. Bye.